God bless you all for being here today. I pray that you'll open your mind and your hearts and your Bibles as we prepare to uh, deliver a message from God's Word. And I hope that you will uh, consider everything that is said and see that how it compares with Scripture. This is our last lesson on the Holy Spirit. It's a lesson... Uh, that actually should hearken us back to uh, the day when Israel was at Mount Sinai and Moses was pleading for God to, you need to come with us as I lead the people. We want your presence. I want your presence so that we can uh, lead the people into the promised land. You got to lead us. And so then God uh, provides instructions for a tabernacle and they build that tabernacle according to the pattern. And then God's presence, His Holy Spirit, comes down and fills that tabernacle, and He dwells among His people. And the beautiful picture that we have now of the church is that there is a temple still today, and we are that temple. Any who uh, would obey God, give their lives to Him, be faithful to Him and and confess the name of Christ as their Savior and be immersed into Christ and then live according to His ways, that Spirit is given. And that Spirit is a deposit within us guaranteeing what is yet to come. And that's a beautiful thought because life can be pretty difficult, but God is with us. Jesus himself said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think certainly we have to make a connection between him saying, I am with you, and then him sending his spirit to dwell within us. So going down this uh, outline, just uh, verse by verse, uh, somewhat according to the, um, the the. the way that we're given to it in the New Testament itself. Um, we've already dealt with a, a lot last week uh, from the book of Acts and then also from Galatians, so we're not going to revisit those too much. But number one, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. We did reference this uh, passage last week because we said that the Holy Spirit is connected with life, giving us life. And so we revisit that little message But the focus is, as we read this, I want you to note how many times in this set of verses that it's talking about the Spirit dwelling in us. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. It dwells in us, it dwells in us, it dwells in us, giving us life. Romans 8, 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
His Spirit dwells in us. And again, this is one of the neat things about uh, the Old Testament versus the New Testament, that the Old Testament, you had some times, well, you had God dwelling amongst them. His presence was there. But it was only certain people that He came into and came upon. The Lord of the Spirit came upon uh, so-and-so mightily. David, and, you know, and we looked at Samson, the judges, so many different people. Some of the prophets, the Spirit came upon them. And there's a, we could list that out. We could write down every one, every name. We could do that as a pretty simple project. But now the promise is to us. Those people we read about in the Old Testament. And we think, man, it would be neat to talk to God like uh, Moses did. It would be neat to be as strong as Samson. Or, or think about Gideon leading the people like he did. All those great heroes of faith. And they did those things because they had faith and because God was with them. And God is with us. God dwells in each one of His believers. He's with us here. And as we think about what we want to see happen in our lives and how we want to see what we want to see happen in this church as we prepare to go out knocking on doors and, and inviting people to know Jesus Christ. There's this wonderful potential realizing that because God is with us, that great things can happen and actually will happen. That Holy Spirit gives us life, leads our lives. I'm jumping to the next one already. But the Holy Spirit dwells in us, giving us life. The scripture reading that was read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. We are the temple. Individually and collectively, we are God's temple. He dwells in me. He dwells in us. Let us always remember that. It's one of the the big, big, big overarching messages of this entire book. It's the Holy Spirit helping us, being with us. And as we see next, the Holy Spirit leads us. So let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 14, just down a bit farther. It says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Being led by the Spirit of God. We have to be, okay, so the Holy Spirit is in us. We know that. We know there is some truth somehow. I didn't, I didn't feel it physically. I don't feel it physically right now. Like I can, oh, I can feel it right over here on the left side, just right, right in the left ventricle, I think, is where he's at. It's not like that. We can't describe that like that. But we know that we have the Holy Spirit in us. It is a promise from the Word of God. And we trust that Holy Spirit that we're going to live according to it and follow that Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us. And last week we looked at the language of keep in step or walk with the Spirit. The Spirit is leading us and we are walking right with that. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's a beautiful thought, a beautiful picture. The Spirit is in us. We better be acting like it. We better be living our lives like the Spirit is truly in us. We better be bearing the fruits. That was the emphasis last week. Bearing the fruits of the Spirit, living according to the Spirit, it will show. 
We bear fruit in our lives. You can see that the Spirit is leading us. And next, talking about fruits, the Holy Spirit has given us first fruits and shall bear more fruit later. Okay, so that's a little bit different language. That's a little bit of my wording, trying to explain what I'm seeing here in Romans 8, 23. So going down a little bit verse, further in verse 23, it says, and, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this idea of us eagerly awaiting, longing for something, that tells us there is something to come. And the reference then to the Spirit is that there are first fruits. We've experienced the first fruits of the Spirit. It's kind of like a, it's terms, that's in the Old Testament, that's harvest terms. They would have the first fruits. A field with its first produce. You would grab the first produce. That's the first produce. Um, first fruits, that's the harvest. Like if you got a garden, you go out and you pick some green beans. The first fruits, that's always fun, isn't it? And then you keep picking them and keep picking them and keep picking them. There are first fruits, and then the harvest continues. There's a later harvest. So by talking about the first fruits of the Spirit, that indicates to us, it suggests that there are going to be more fruits to follow. And that's what this verse talks about, is that we're eagerly awaiting our redemption. The redemption, as it says here, of our body. I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know what we will be. Uh, John even talks about that in 1 John chapter 3. What we will be, we don't know. But we wait for it. We wait for the time that our hip doesn't hurt, that our knees don't crack when we try to get out of bed in the morning. That, uh, that when we're playing a game and hit our head, that our bell doesn't get rung. You know, we, we long for the day when we will have some form of a new body and it won't grow old and we won't have tears. It'll just be wonderful. We're going to look a lot like Jesus. And that really fits with what we're going to look at later. So I'll just remind you of this, this passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse number Verse number two, um, and okay, verse two, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will like, be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So there's going to be a final transformation on that final day that we'll all be changed in that twinkling of an eye. That last trumpet sound will be changed. We're going to be changed into the very image of the one that we see. When Jesus comes back to us, I don't know what that's going to be like. But somehow we'll be a lot like Jesus. Or, well, as scripture says, we'll be like him. All right, so keep that in mind as we go through this lesson. So the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in us and, pro and produce in us these wonderful fruits of the Spirit to give us life, to give us love and joy and peace. To change us into the image of Christ, he's doing it already. That spirit is at work. And then someday, there's holding out this, that's the, the first fruits. We're seeing the first fruits. I see the first fruits in you all. It's a joy to see it in others. 
Someday, on that last day, we'll be we'll all be changed. It's going to be some more fruit. It's going to be barren. There's going to be another harvest. This later harvest. There's more to come. How exciting that is. Next point. So, if you're filling in the blanks, I got blanks for you today. So, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, giving us life. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit has given us first fruits and shall bear more fruit later. And now the Holy Spirit helps us in our spiritual weakness by interceding for us. So right from this same passage, John, a little bit farther, Romans 8, 26. You want to learn about the Spirit? Romans 8 is obviously one you got to read and study and figure out, right? Verse 26 says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He searches the hearts. He that search, excuse me, and He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, I think this is a neat thing. I, you know, here here we are in this life, and we're in this state that we're in, that the Holy Spirit is in us and working on us, and someday there's there's a greater hope of something better that's going to happen and we're longing for that day and sometimes though in this life we don't even know how to pray and the spirit's with us fixing our prayers that's how i hear this that's my language it's the spirit is is praying interceding for us i don't know what to say and the, the spirit goes to the father on my behalf that's a really neat thing i need that kind of help there's probably some things that I say in my prayers or, or that are wrong, I'm asking God to do something and God's saying, no, I got something better. And maybe the spirit comes in there too and says, all right, God, you hear him saying this, but we know what we really need to do. So God, just get this done. The spirit, that Holy Spirit is within us, interceding individually for each one of us as we pray. That's a neat and wonderful thought. And also, the Holy Spirit, uh, is next in the point here, is that we've, we've got this Holy Spirit within us, and that Holy Spirit seals us. Ephesians 1.13, so let's go there. Ephesians 1.13, we got two points that are from right here in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this, In Him, this is speaking of Jesus, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We were sealed. When we believed, we were sealed. It's kind of like a a stamp, or if anybody knows what a seal was in old times, a wax seal over a paper or something and it gets that hot wax is there and then you seal it up put a seal on it you know who it's from and it it has these implications Um, and by the way the uh, even the scripture talks a lot about different seals that were provided there is even a a passage when uh, Jesus was put into the tomb they wanted to make sure that nobody tampered with the tomb so they put a seal uh, on to the tomb. Um, 
So, uh, and uh, slow down on that. I don't know why I'm, there's, check that one out. <laughs> um, I know that when Daniel was thrown into lion's den, that that seal, that, that, maybe I'm picturing that as a, a seal on the team. I might be getting that mixed up. But when Daniel, I know when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, they sealed it up and the king put his seal on it so that nobody could tamper with Daniel being in the lion's den. Um, I wonder if in my mind I'm picturing Jesus getting sealed. His tomb didn't get sealed, did it? I'm glad I caught myself on that one. Um, but there are three things that I wrote down here about a seal. Holy Spirit seals us. Number one, a mark of ownership. Like branding a cow. You know, we think of, of cattle and uh, getting, they get, a, in a sense, they get sealed, don't they? When, they, when they'd heat up the iron and seal that uh, brand on there and, and just show who this cow belongs to. Um, it's a mark of ownership. That's what it is. So when a king or somebody would set their seal on something, it would show that it was truly the, like the message was from them. It showed ownership. It showed authenticity. Number two, it provides protection from tampering. If a message came from a king, but by the time it got to the person it was coming to, the seal was broken, it's like, oh no, somebody messed with this message. Other people might know. It's, not, it, it's a protection. It's a, it's a device that's like a little bit like, uh, boy, it was back in the 80s when people started messing with medications in the factories and they started sealing up the containers. It's as simple as that. It's a protection. You seal something, it provides protection from tampering. Uh, if, we, if we go to the store and buy anything that's even a simple item of food, if it's not sealed up, if there is a seal and the seal has been broken, we either take it back to the store or toss it. We want to make sure that it has not been tampered with. So a seal is a mark of ownership. A seal protects from tampering. And lastly, number three, a seal guarantees that the contents are authentic or approved. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He sets it. The Holy Spirit comes to us and it's, a, and it's a seal. It's a mark of ownership. We belong to God. God's given us a piece of him to say, I belong to you. You belong to me. God uh, sets His Holy Spirit in us to provide protection from tampering. We better be living according to that Spirit. If we are, then we're, we're going to be safe. We're going to be protected. So let's live according to Spirit. And it also shows us if somebody's not living according to God's will, if they're defying what's written here, but they claim to be a Christian, we can uh, say, hey, wait a second. You might claim to be have the seal of the Spirit on you, but you're violating this and this and this. I'm not so sure I can trust you. You have reason to understand that that person might have been tampered with, that they have grieved the Holy Spirit, and that perhaps that Spirit has left them if it were ever with them. Number three, the Holy Spirit seals us. It provides that guarantee that the contents are authentic. So if we have the Holy Spirit within us, Christ returns, Christ sees the Holy Spirit within us, and uh, it's an authentication. We are approved before God if that Spirit dwells within us. So the Holy Spirit seals us. I do want to note um, 
Some people might look at this verse and say, well, what does it take to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, all you have to do is hear the word and believe it. No, I think this word, this language, uh, it doesn't go into baptism. It doesn't go into confession. But this is clearly uh, um, a passage that confirms how one is saved, just as you would read in Acts chapter 2. So when the people heard that message, they said, what should we do? Peter told them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive... When you do this, you will receive. When you, are, when you believe and are baptized into Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when somebody hears the word of truth and believes in it, they certainly will be baptized. That's how one uh, comes into contact with Christ, comes into Christ. In Him, is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In Him. You are also sealed. Well, how do you get in Him? You are baptized into Him. It's very simple. You believe in Him, you're going to obey Him, then you're going to be baptized into Him, and when you do that, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that's a wonderful thought. The Holy Spirit seals us. In the very next verse, talking about the Holy Spirit, it says, Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance? Something more to come is mentioned here again. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. We receive the Holy Spirit as a pledge. As a down payment is a good way to translate this. The Holy Spirit comes in us. That Holy Spirit within us is a pledge. It's a promise. It's, it's God saying, hey, I'm going to put a deposit on you. And if I got a deposit on you, I'm going to come back and claim you someday. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 14. Oh, excuse me. Uh, 2 Corinthians. A couple of quick passages here from 2 Corinthians. And we're going to stay in 2 Corinthians. So go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians. This Holy Spirit is a pledge. If God gives us, I, I don't, I said a piece of Him. That's not the language of Scripture. If God gives us His Holy Spirit, and that is a pledge, it's a down payment, it's a guarantee, it's a guarantee that He's going to, if He's given us that down payment, He's going to come back and claim us. He's put the deposit on us, He's made a pledge. He's going to come and take us home. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. I'll read 21 with it. It says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So here's the two things that we're mentioning, the last couple of things in our outline. He has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge pledge two things connected again Paul connected these so we've been sealed because the Holy Spirit is with us and that spirit is also a pledge chapter 5 verse 5 still in 2nd Corinthians now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge So I hope the Spirit is in fact in you, in each one of us, in us all.
Because that's the work of what Christ does in this New Testament thing that we call the church. All of us who participated in this meal up here today, we participate in this together because we have communion with Christ and with one another because of what he has done. And so we've entered into a new covenant with Jesus where we're in him and he in us. And I have the language here from uh, borrowing words from uh, much of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says the new covenant in Christ is a ministry of the Spirit by which all believers are being transformed into the likeness or be transformed little by little into the glorious image of the Lord. We're being transformed into His likeness just as we mentioned from 1 John chapter 3. You might think of the picture of the temple in the, in the book of Ezekiel when that... Uh, that there's a little trickle coming out of the temple. The temple where God is present. There's a trickle that comes out and becomes a mighty roaring stream that covers the, the, the uh, areas, the arid areas and the Dead Sea. And it just brings life. And here we see that that is really a picture. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the New Testament. In His church, in His kingdom, God is pouring forth His Spirit on all mankind so that we can have life. And He gives us life by changing us a little bit from glory to glory. From one level of glory to another that we are becoming more and more like Christ. That is the Spirit's work in our lives. So notice that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the entire chapter certainly is important. Let me uh, give a, some snippets. Verse 6, it says, uh, talking about God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Here's Paul as an apostle saying, I'm a minister of a new covenant, a servant of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The essence of the new covenant is connected with the Spirit. Uh, Look at verse uh, number 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be be even more with glory? So the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. That Old Covenant was pretty glorious. But now the the New Covenant with the Spirit, it's even more amazing. But the, the phrase I want you to think about here is the ministry of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's ministry in this life we have entered into. God sent His Spirit to minister. The entire covenant is based upon the Spirit serving and helping us to have life. And it's connected very much. I don't want to um, detract from what Jesus did for us. Jesus is who we remember every Sunday. But it's this ministry of the Spirit that we're giving ourselves over to, that we're entering into a covenant And we have entered into a service that's connected with the Spirit in us. The work of the Spirit in us. And then on down to verses, uh, uh, the latter verses, 18 and 19. Uh, And I'll read 17 with it. I don't think I, oh yeah, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. But we all 
with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And isn't this neat? Jesus came. This is the essence, the big difference about the New Testament versus the Old Testament. I've mentioned that a couple times today. But Jesus came. God came, and we got to see him. And he walked around like a man, like us. And we can read about him and man, we can, we can think all day long about, well, what's God like? What does he look like? He's a big beard and, you know, is God all, you know, I can't imagine his forearms, you know. What, you can imagine all this stuff all day long about God in heaven. But if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. And we still get a read about Jesus and we learn about God who humbled himself and came down here in the form of a man. We know God because we know Jesus. We know God better than Moses, if I can say that. And you can test me on that one. That'd be a good discussion, right? We know God better than Moses because we know Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So here is us. We get a glimpse at Jesus, and as we do that, as we look through all the Old Testament and, and into the New Testament, we're seeing Jesus and now listen again, but we all, this is still in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. We're being made to look like Christ. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's why I use the word little by little and Every day, little by little, in every way, Jesus is changing me. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I think the new NIV says with, we're being changed into the same likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit's at work in us to make us like Jesus. This is the ministry. This is the new covenant. This is the point. The point isn't for us just to live this life and think, oh, someday I'm going to go to heaven. Someday I'm going to go to heaven. Someday I want to be done with the pain, the dying, the sickness. I want to be done with it all. I just want to go to heaven. No, the, the point of Jesus dying on the cross is for his spirit to come and be at work in us and transform our lives so that we can look like Jesus and be like him. The Spirit wants to work in us. The Spirit wants us to speak the things of the Spirit to jump back to two lessons ago. The words that Jesus shared, the message that he had, his followers, uh, and in terms of the passage from Isaiah, his offspring are also to have the same words, right? Right? We're to live according to the Spirit. We're to live now in such a way that people can look at us and say, that's a godly woman. That's a godly man. And it might be that some people say, I don't like that godly person because they speak the things of God and those things make me sound bad and make me feel bad. 
But we are to speak and we are to live according to the Spirit. We're to be changed and be like Jesus. If there's anybody here today, you haven't done that, you haven't given your life to Christ, today's the day. Live for Him and start being changed little by little. Oh, I wish it could happen all in a snap. But it's little by little in this life. And someday it will be all in a snap. The, the next fruits when Jesus comes back. But right now, give your life to Him and just start living for Him. Do your very best to follow and keep in step with that Spirit. And that Spirit is, God, is He's faithful. He'll forgive us when we falter. I pray we ask for forgiveness often. But if we, don't, if we, if we ask for forgiveness, He'll keep walking with us. He'll keep leading us. Keep in step with Him. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Live for Him. Don't grieve the Spirit. Let the Spirit be alive and work in you. If you need to respond in any way, I encourage you to please come as we stand together and sing this song.